Blog Talk Radio. Finally, a global program specifically for wealthy, philanthropic women who are humble, gracious leaders. Sylvia Global's host, Gil Sylvia, invites you to join her in these conversations with First Ladies of Nations, Households, Business, and Communities. Trustworthy, live conversations with women from around the globe provides a place for your voice to connect with women of integrity, passion, and purpose. Now, here's your host, Gail Sylvia. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited. I have an incredible guest here on Sylvia Global. His name is Dr. Jim Ferris. He is the founding director of the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy at the University of Southern California. He is also a professor in the School of Policy, Planning, and Development at USC. Jim, thank you so much for being with us here today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? It's, I'm wonderful. I'm very excited um, not only about this conversation, but the upcoming forum at U- USC on January 24th and 25th on philanthropy, imagination, innovation, and impact, a leadership forum. You know, as you heard, a part of the introduction for Sylvia Global includes reference to wealthy women. And, you know, our wealth also includes or is defined by not only our imagination and innovation, but the type of impact that we have around the world. So welcome and thank you so much for being here today. As the founding director of the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy at USC, um, talk to us about the mission of the of that um, center and why it was created at this point. You know, at the point in time when it was um, opened. Uh, so the center is 13 years old. So it was founded and launched in January of 2000. And the spark for the center was um, our founding board chair, Esther Wachtel, who was a dynamic philanthropic leader, community um, leader in Los Angeles. And she came to the school and talked the dean into creating the center. She basically thought there was a great need for more careful study and analysis of philanthropy and um sort of its impact. And so um, being the entrepreneurial university uh, that USC is and the foresight that Jane Pisano, who was the dean at the time, had, um, she looked at me and said, we're going to create a center. So we did. And that is what we have um, now. Um, The mission of the center is to promote more effective philanthropy and strengthen the nonprofit sector. And we do this through research and analysis that informs decision-making of philanthropists and other players to advance community problem-solving. So our emphasis is not what motivates people to give. It's more the strategies that philanthropists or foundations or other philanthropic institutions use to advance solutions to some of our more enduring challenges as a society and in our communities. So that's really what it's about. What have been some of the what were some of the initial challenges of the center and how did you overcome those? Well, well, um 
the center has benefited from the wise counsel of a first-rate advisory board. And as we developed the center, um, they were very adamant that we not become an ivory tower center um, and that we're very much engaged with the philanthropic community locally and we sort of have a national profile. So um, a lot of the work we do um, comes from questions that are posed or arise from our conversations with um, community leaders, philanthropic decision makers. So what I think of us as an engaged academic center, which isn't that common, and there's a lot of interplay between the research agenda of the center and um, a variety of gatherings that we have and we host um, with the philanthropic community, both here locally and across the nation. How did you become um, interested in this area of philanthropy and policy making, Jim? Well, um, so I'm on the faculty in the Price School of Public Policy, and I've been here for way too long, longer than I would want to admit. Um, and so I've always been sort of a professor of public policy. Um, I'm an economist by training and do a lot of work on policy analysis. Um, but in my research, I, I did a lot of research early on in my career on how governments deliver services. And um, I sort of came of age in my research career during the 80s, which was an era of privatization. And a lot of my work, um, looks at private sector approaches to public service delivery. And in that work, what we noticed was that the nonprofit sector plays a big role in delivering public services. So I, um, over time, developed a strong intellectual interest in nonprofit organizations. Um, and so when um, the center was created, um, we started out having it as a focus on philanthropy and nonprofits, and we quickly um, decided to sharp that focus to focus on the philanthropic side of the nonprofit sector. So rather than everything to everybody, we decided that we were going to focus on the philanthropic dimension and use that as a lens to look at nonprofits. And that got started. Where else is this work being done in using this model of looking at the nonprofit through the lens of the philanthropic? Um, not many places. Um, there, are, there are about 40 to 50 academic research centers, teaching centers at universities across the U.S. and even more across, around the world. But most of them start with the nonprofit organization and how do you manage, lead, govern nonprofits. And there are a much smaller number that focus on philanthropy, um, sort of the impulse to give and how to do giving in a smart way, in an impactful way. And one of the reasons we chose that tack was that as we did a survey of what was out there, we decided that philanthropy was understudied compared to nonprofits. That was sort of one of the pieces that, uh, or one of the factors that led us 
to have that philanthropic um, dimension. And, and it's really important because we think of philanthropy as the capital for social change. It's the margin that nonprofits have to innovate, to experiment, um, to come up with new solutions. And so we think that philanthropy is a really key part. It is the resource that allows nonprofits to do that. And, and you have to understand that, on average, most nonprofits only get about, hmm, about 15 to 20% of their revenues come from philanthropy, and the other sources of funds comes from government contracts or fee-for-service. So while philanthropy isn't the main revenue source, it's... it's Jim? Jim? Yep. Hi. Yep. So even though the philanthropy is not the main revenue source, it is a significant portion and has tremendous impact in determining the success of a nonprofit organization. It, the success in terms of creating the change and the impact. Definitely. Okay. How has your experience as a visiting scholar in the Netherlands and as a senior Fulbright scholar in Aust at Australian National University, how has that shaped um, your perspective on philanthropy and the global connection of philanthropists? Well, um, so those experiences really were before I, I started doing work in philanthropy. Um, but they were both in the context of higher education. And um, and, in, and in those instances, um, what we know is that in both Australia and the Netherlands, the universities are almost exclusively public institutions, and they're funded by government. And what, what you will learn if you go over there is that philanthropy is not a big source of, of um, funds in those institutions, and therefore those institutions behave in ways that are less effective, less innovative than some of the American higher education system, which where philanthropy is a big source of um, our excellence. Does the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy um, influence national and international thought leaders around um, this topic of philanthropy, or is it the thought leaders who guide centers and this uh, areas of, you know, other research centers in this area of philanthropy? I, I, like, I like to think that the center is part of that landscape of thought leaders. So we, we, we're part of that. Um, we... Um, we sometimes listen and we sometimes talk, um, but we're part of that, that landscape of the infrastructure of this sector and um, trying to advance sort of the practices so that um, philanthropy is more effective, more meaningful, more impactful. Yeah, let me um, let our listeners know you're welcome to call and ask questions here of Jim Ferris. If you're new to Sylvia Global, you can call area code 347 215-6138. You can also text Facebook and twi um, send by Twitter your questions to us 
um, at sylviaglobal.com, and the hashtag is sylviaglobal. Our guest today is Dr. Jim Ferris, um, founding director of the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy at the University of Southern California. You have an upcoming forum on January 24th and 25th, Philanthropy, Imagination, Innovation, and Impact. Jim, talk to us about the changing landscape of philanthropy and how the center examines this and what motivates um, these philanthropic behaviors. Um, so so the center um, does its work in in very different ways. I mentioned earlier that we were an engaged academic center. And so we have a variety of gatherings where we bring people together to talk about philanthropy and strategies that they use and sort of what are the consequences of different strategies. Um, So that's an important piece of what we do. Um, The forum that you referenced, which is next week, is a gathering of about 200 um, philanthropic leaders from Southern California across the state and nation. And we're going to really be looking at all the phases of philanthropy. So in some ways it covers the full spectrum of philanthropy. And when we talk about philanthropic imagination, it's really what's the spark, um, what's the passion that drives individual donors and their giving. Um, And so that's an important piece. And we're going to be talking to Tom Steyer and Kat Taylor. um, They they have signed um, the Giving Pledge, which is the efforts Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to um, get wealthy people to dedicate half of their wealth to philanthropic pursuits during their lifetime. And so um, Tom and Kat are going to sort of share what was behind their, their thinking as they signed this pledge and subsequently the different strategies they're pursuing in, um, in sort of carrying that out. So they will have lessons for what motivates folks to give, um, how couples give, how they involve their family, and so forth. So the imagination really rests with the donor. And you don't have to be wealthy to be a philanthropist. A lot of people think that only the wealthy give. And the reality is everybody gives. Everybody gives some money and everybody gives time. So um, and it's just that the magnitude might be different. But there is really not the exclusive domain of just the wealthy. Um, So that's the imagination piece. Um, The innovation piece is there are new ways of um, doing philanthropy, of making a difference in society, and we've just picked a few of the new developments um, that we think have a lot of promise. So we're going to have a panel talking about social media and games and how that changes, creates social change, or um, the use of collaboration and networks for more impactful giving. Um, So we're looking at new ways of doing philanthropy. Um, And then the third is impact. Um, You know, we have a long tradition in the U.S. for 
100 years at least. Um, you know, 2013 is the 100th anniversary of the Rockefeller Foundation. Hmm. Um, and so we've been at grant-making through philanthropic foundations in the U.S. for about a century now. And so there are some some lessons that we've learned about how to assess the impact of philanthropy and learn from it, how to build the capacity and leadership of the nonprofits that um, we fund through our philanthropic foundations, and how we try to sort of sort of scale the impact of the work of um, sort of grant making. So so that. It's a real big picture um, conference, and we're really trying to bring together sort of thought leaders, um, foundation leaders, academics, students, a whole mix. So it's a very unusual, eclectic group that you seldom see at any philanthropy conference. Uh, Define philanthropist for us. Uh, Well, anybody can be a philanthropist or a donor. It's someone who's giving of money and time to help others. That's my definition. Jim? Yeah. I think I lost you for a moment. Can you repeat that for me, please? Um, I think of it in a fairly um, straightforward way. Um, philanthropy is the gifts of money and time, and so a philanthropist is anyone who, in a purposeful way, makes donations of, of either dollars or talent um, or time. How's the? Where's the fine line then between um, being a philanthropist and being a nonprofit? You know, uh, uh, the you know determining which end of the the giving spoon you're on because donors and especially families and images associated with the Rockefeller Foundation, you know, tend to be um, viewed as you know with this word philanthropist viewed as very wealthy. Oftentimes, um, if they're not entertainers or athletes, they're in contemporary times. They're viewed as wealthy white men and women, and then the recipients of these gifts are often viewed in the nonprofit world as, uh, you know, the people with the greatest need and people often of color. But yet there are um, people of color who are also philanthropists. And so I, I sometimes in my own personal life experiences, you know, have you know, am surrounded by tremendously generous people with limited resources who leverage their time and their talent and what they have in order to give and um, socially and to make impactful change in communities, yet they don't see themselves as philanthropists. And then at the same time, we've had guests on the show who are very wealthy, uh, and if I and they're doing such incredible work around the world. And then I ask the question, so you're you're a philanthropist, and they're quick to say, oh no no no, I'm not a philanthropist. That's someone like the Rockefellers or the Gates or the, you know or someone else. So you know how do you, how do you and the Center for Philanthropy, you know, tell our audience something about how you see this re-imaging taking place associated with being a philanthropist? Well, 
I guess I don't concern myself with the the label so much. Um, okay. Um, to be honest, because um, a lot of almost everybody gives money, gives time, in one way or another. Yeah. What we're interested in is getting people to think more strategically and to be more conscious about what they give for and to and what the consequence of it is. So people spend a lot of time in the field talking about the difference between charity and philanthropy. Yes. Um, and charity is when you just respond to somebody who asks you to give. Um, so you, you re, you're responding to some basic needs. Um, that's charity. Um, philanthropy is where you're sort of intentionally, as a donor, trying to make a difference. So it means that, and and we so. One of the things we have at the center is we have a women's book club. It's a philanthropic book club. And um, these, the group we have now is, um, there's many of them are early in their philanthropic journey. So they haven't been doing it that long, or at least not consciously. And one of the hard things for them to understand is how to say no to somebody. Mm. When people ask them to give to their cause or their nonprofit or their children's school, you know, their impulse is to do it. They have the means, they're involved in the community, but that really doesn't have much of an impact or not as great as a, of an impact as if they sort of decided what mattered most to them and acted on that, right? So so what we're trying, we're working with this group to get them to think about how would they define what their interests are and where they want to put their, their money, their time into to make a difference. And the significance of that is to the extent you start to see how your behavior, your decisions create meaningful impacts, you will end up giving more because you understand sort of the joy, the rewards of giving. And so that's one of our main um, objectives, whether it's through research or a book club or a peer group or whatever is trying to get people to think about how do you have a greater impact? What can you do and when, you're being, when you're being philanthropic um, to make a bigger difference? This is the, is this the fifth year of the forum, Jim? Uh, no, we, we don't. The forum is an occasional event we do. We don't do it every year because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, we, so we just do it sort of when we think it's time to bring people back together. We have a variety of other um, gatherings, events that we do on a more systematic, regular basis. So um, when we launched the center, that was our first forum, and this will be in our 13 years our fifth forum. 
Jim, there are some questions that have, that are coming in for you, and we're trying to get some of the callers on live with you. Uh, the right. first the first question is actually coming from it looks like uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, they're asking um, how what advice you would give for developing a first rate wise advisory board and the selection process in doing so. Uh, uh, <laughs> I assume for a nonprofit organization, right? Correct. I'm I'm going to take a guess that that's that that's accurate, but they didn't say that specifically. Yeah. Well, there. I mean, the purposes of um, boards of nonprofits are twofold. One is they should provide leadership for the direction of the the nonprofit organization, and ensuring that the nonprofit is equipped to pursue and achieve its mission. So there's a governance role to the board. And then the second function in our world is fundraising. And what happens, my experience, is that small nonprofits that are trying to get started want to create boards that become um, powerful fundraisers. But I think that's a little bit short-sighted because what a board is able to do is to provide a lot of advice and expertise for the work of the nonprofit. So when we created the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy, the first thing we did was create an advisory board, and that's really our board. Um, the, University of Southern California has only one governing board, that's the Board of Trustees. But different units within the university have boards of advisors. And our advisory board is similar to any other nonprofit organization, except it doesn't have a fiduciary obligation. And that is our board helps to guide what our mission is, shape our agenda, so there's a leadership piece to what they give us, and they also help us in securing the resources that we need in order to achieve our mission. And so part of it is finding the individuals who have expertise, the resources, and the commitment and passion to the organization. So it's not always easy um, to find those attributes in individuals um, or in single individuals. want to make sure that the board has, the composition of the board allows you um, to get that. An another question that's come in, uh, looks like uh, Vancouver, uh, Canada. Uh, they're asking if the, let me make sure I'm reading this clearly, how do we really know how does a, a donor or a family foundation know if their contribution has truly had impact? You know, what are I guess maybe what they're um they're meaning by this, I'm gonna ask them to, to send it again as they're listening. I think they're trying to determine from you how you um what your experience has been and how the forum will also address Social investments and knowing when there's actual impact made by donors. Um, How to determine that or evaluate that? 
Now, that's one of the um, perennial questions. Um, <laughs> I'm just um, so so. We've got the the sector as a whole has got it gotten better at figuring out how to develop metrics or measures or indicators of what's being achieved or what the impact is. Um, it's extremely difficult to be able to establish the causation that any single donation yields some output. But if the donor is involved with the organization, they oftentimes will have knowledge and a good sense about what is being accomplished. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a hard one. People want to make sure that um, an organization is well-led, it's well-managed, and it's sort of um, achieving its mission. So those are different dimensions that donors will be concerned with um, before they make a donation. And they will want some evidence that that the impact is happening if they're going to be asked to make an, a subsequent investment. So what happens is if you're involved with a nonprofit over time, you will learn how they're doing and whether they're getting better at what they're doing over time. So, so oftentimes um, donors, sort of the venture capital model, is donors don't just give one time to an organization, but they build a relationship with the organization. And if you're um, astute and, and sort of following what happens, you have a sense about how things are going. And if things aren't going as as well as you would like, um, then you want to try to figure out how to sort of learn and make adjustments. So it's really a, an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing, yes. And, and hopefully people are developing relationships uh, that can – have sustainable impact and partnership models associated with their giving moving forward. Jim, the next question is coming from Orlando, Florida, and from a donor, and she's asking uh, she's asking about the forum and if you could elaborate more on the topics that are going to be covered in the forum. So, um so the forum, as we designed the forum program, we were trying to figure out topics because there are an, a large number we could talk about, um, um, topics that would attract a cross-section of philanthropy. And so we were one of the things the center is trying to do at this point in time is bring together presidents and trustees of large foundations, um, individual donors, maybe run, ha, who have their own family foundations, um, philanthropic advisors, nonprofit leaders, students, scholars. And so we were trying to have a, a broad set of topics. And so, um, so in the, let me, um, in the imagination track, um, in addition to the, the opening session that Tom Steyer and Kat Taylor are doing, we're going to actually have some of the people doing their work. One of the things um, Tom and Kat have, they've, 
they've created um, something called the Center for the Next Generation, which is dealing with issues about children and the environment and so forth. Um, so they're going to be talking about the strategies that they're using in their work. Um, we have a panel, I think, you're, and you're participating on, I hope. That's um, correct, but, yeah. And women in philanthropy, sort of the power of women in, in, in the philanthropic world. Um, and this, um, so that's another topic. And then the final panel in the imagination track is um, one of our board members, Lisa Parker, um, is going to do a session focused on how do you transmit values about philanthropy across generations. One of the things that we've learned at the center um, from our women's book club is basically how much time, no matter what we talk about, we always come back to, well, what about their children? How do they instill values? How do they involve their children in sort of community work and philanthropic efforts? And so she's going to be talking about how how those values are transmitted or passed on from one generation to the other. So that's the imagination track. Um, the innovations track is sort of some of the more cutting-edge topics like um, med social media and social change, impact investing, um, using the power of private wealth for public purposes, um, and networks and collaboration. And so these panels will have sort of thought leaders as well as people actually doing it on the ground. Um, and then the final track is a set of sessions about capacity building leadership of nonprofits, how foundations will try to not only pay for or invest in programs, but build the capacity of the nonprofit organizations. One of the, um, I guess, downsides of this current effort on impact or emphasis on impact that people oftentimes are willing to pay for programs but not for the organizational capacity. And um, so there's an important um, lesson to be learned that you can't have strong programs if you have weak organizations. You need both. Um, so that's one topic. The other is learning and evaluation. And then the final topic is on scaling impact. How do you take lessons of successes in one area and make them larger or diffuse them across communities? So anyway, that's, it's a really broad um, set of topics that we're going to talk about. And, and what happens is People get to pick and choose some of the panels because they're held at the same time. Uh, and and this is open to the public, Jim, or is this exclusively by invitation? It's by invitation, but if you're interested, you can email us at cpp2 at usc.edu and um, and let us know, and we'll see. We're, we're about at capacity, I think. Um, That's I wonderful. Think Mm -hmm. I assist. I <laughs> get mad at me, but we're, okay. we're entertaining inquiries. Um, Jim, you mentioned earlier that this is the 100-year anniversary of the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, in your research and acknowledge in this area of philanthropy, what do you? What was the the imagination and innovation 
levels at at the onset a hundred years ago that are so distinctly different from where it might be a hundred years from now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> God! You know, it, it started. You know, obviously, it, it started with someone's imagining something greater than and something very strategic. You know, within the Rockefeller family, with associated with their giving. And do you think that it is today where they imagine their influence would be, or it's have we exceeded it? And how will that look? You know, a hundred years from now, where what, what will philanthropy be? I I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I think what what's interesting, Phil. Um, so what's interesting, Gail, is that if you go back a hundred years there was a tremendous amount of wealth created. And it wasn't just Rockefeller. We had Carnegie. We had other individuals. And if you look at that period in history, that was the birth of what we call the American Foundation. Prior to that period, there were foundations that we got from or the foundation model in Europe, which is you know is predates that, was what we would call an operating foundation in the U.S. So you had foundations, but they were dedicated to one organization. So we know, for example, that a lot of nonprofit hospitals will have a philanthropic foundation where they raise money just for that one hospital. That's the model that you see in Europe, okay? And the Rockefeller Foundation, Carnegie, and a few of the others that were created about 100 years ago sort of had endowments, but they were providing for general grant making. So they would fund a variety of areas and a variety of nonprofit organizations. And so that was a, a very different model. And so we've had 100 years of experience with the grant-making foundation. And that's what most people think of when they think of foundations. They think of, you know, Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie, Kresge, MacArthur, Gates. Um, and that's, that's the legacy. And, you know, we're now 100 years old. There's also something else that happened about 100 years old, and that happened in Cleveland, and that was the creation of a community foundation. Quite different in that it mobilizes the philanthropic efforts of a whole community rather than a single family or individual. And so that was a period of time where we had the emergence of a variety of innovative institutional forms for philanthropy. What What's interesting is that with the wealth creation, especially in the 90s, there have been a lot of other innovations that we see happening in the last 15 to 20 years. And that's going to be the legacy going forward. And those are things that allow you to um, 
reach more people. So we've had the democratization of philanthropy. We have more individuals with a, a varying means of different life experiences that are able to engage philanthropy in a very strategic way, whether they're Bill Gates or my neighbor next door. Um, and so there, there are sort of changes still afoot, and I think what we observe is that there's just this ongoing evolution of how the field develops. There's more people thinking about the field, um, and it's becoming more professionalized. You know, Jim, you made reference to Cleveland and the community and community foundations. We have, um, and I'm going to try and get her through um, to here. We have Shelley Haas. And Shelley is the president of the Orange County Community Foundation. I'm on the line. Shelley, are you there? I am here. I am here. Hi. Great. We got you through. I've been, I've been trying to, <laughs> we have some callers that, were, for some reason, we um, haven't been able to get them through. So I'm glad that you're here. Shelley, have you been able to listen to these, um, you know, this conversation that Jim was just making reference to? That yes, involved I, Came in with the Rockefellers ad, heard the reference to community foundations. That was a perfect segue. Talk to us about, you know, give us your response and talk to us about the work at the Orange County Community Foundation and the type of legacy that Jim's referring to um, that's being created from this generation forward. Well, hi, Jim. It's nice to be with you on the phone. <laughs> it's been a been a while since we've been together on a panel of one sort or the other, and I I really appreciated Jim's description um, in terms of the unique role that community foundations have come to play, and I think it is sort of um, you know a very important factor in evidencing this sort of unique character of American culture that you know we all know de Tocqueville. Um, noted in terms of our true desire for voluntary action and collective voluntary action. And I think that that is a niche that community foundations have filled uh, as a platform for people um, of across the spectrum of wealth, frankly, to be able to be informed and educated about the needs of their community, as well as to interact and sometimes partner with other donors that share their interest. In some ways, I think of community foundations as sort of creating, um, for the economists among us, a more efficient marketplace for philanthropy, right? Efficient marketplaces match supply and demand, and community foundations are um, matchmakers, so to speak, between people who have a desire and resources to give with uh, the needs of their community and, in particular, organizations that are working effectively to meet those needs. So it's a great sort of frontier of philanthropy that's just nearing its 100th anniversary. So we are, um, you know, gaining much uh, more experience as we've evolved, and I think over the last 10 to 15 years have sort of hit a new era of our development where in addition to sort of being this facilitator or matchmaker um, of philanthropic intent and community needs, community foundations um, 
uh, in, uh, I think, um, Emmett Carson, who's the president and CEO of the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, was one of the first and loudest voices on this topic, that we really have an obligation to be agents of change and leaders of change uh, and response to needs in our community. So adding on to our role as facilitators, I think uh, many community foundations, including ours, are sort of stepping up to a higher call um, to contemplate and then act on unique ways in which we may be able to um, uh, fill holes and uh, bring partners together to meet needs in our community. Uh, I just received, and and Shelley, please stay on the call with us. Um, We just received another um, email question, and this one is actually coming in from Amsterdam. Um, It's apparently a, a donor is asking, is saying that she recently inherited a large sum of money. What types of questions should she be asking to help her determine if she should be setting up a private family foundation mm-hmm. or going and partnering with a community foundation? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I bet Jim will have some thoughts on that as well. But, you know, initially I think the the very first most important question to start with is, what sort of impact do you want to achieve? And what really is your vision for the role that this philanthropy will play? Is it something that is intended to involve other family members? Or is it something that uh, the person will be directing individually? I think questions about style and um, do you like working more autonomously or in partnership with others? Um, Does the person have a very articulated set of interests or is there some um, additional support that would be helpful and then there are some very specific questions that relate to the the form of vehicle used um, and I don't know uh, in Amsterdam what the availability is of vehicles like community foundations I do know there's been a community foundation movement in Europe and in Africa and other parts of the world um, but I don't think they're they are as prevalent as they are in the US where essentially you know any neighborhood you live in you can find a community foundation that is serving you so um, I think understanding what the options are and um, of course the the kinds of considerations we have in the US would be different would be different there because there are differences in tax treatment and, and types of control that can be exerted et cetera that we'd be asking in the US that could be could be different there but those would be similar considerations are there different types of um, tax considerations are there different types of legal constraints that relate to the uh, various vehicles Oh, Jim, this qu- thank you so much, Shelley, for your input on that question. Jim, another question that has come in is, does USC have any partners, university partners in Ireland or other parts of Europe where a similar forum will be pr- um, presented? Um, we don't have any sort of formal partnerships, but there are centers in Ireland um, like ours. Um, they're like... Um, over the last 20 years, there have been a number of centers created in the U.S., and increasingly you find them around the world. So I would just look at the various universities um, in in your home country and, and see. I, I know there's one at Trinity College in Dublin, um, and um, 
you can look and j just sort of look there. You'll find them growing. The, the field of philanthropic and nonprofit studies is growing worldwide. There's more research, more educational programs, and and that just sort of parallels sort of the growth of philanthropy as a field and a profession. Uh, thank you. Uh, Shelley, stay with us. You know, we have a few more moments before we end the broadcast, so I would like to have you um, respond to a couple of additional questions that have come in. And one of the questions, Jim and Shelley, is how what how has the role of women changed in philanthropy in both the areas of research and in overall giving as donors? Do you want to start, Jim, and then I can tag uh, on? Well, you know, um, Women are just like men in the sense that their what they care about drives their philanthropy, and um, and and there are studies that show that women tend to do their giving a little bit differently than men. Um, they tend to um, give a lot to a lot of different causes, where men tend to give it in a very focused way. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things and in, is that. As women have become the decision makers in philanthropy, you see more attention given to issues about women and girls. Mm -hmm. um, and um, last spring, we had in our distinguished speaker series, we had Peter and Jennifer Buffett um, come, and they basically have um, adopted that as their cause around the world in their philanthropy. And um, it was just stunning to us about how much excitement them talking about the work they're doing with Girl Effect and some other um, efforts mm. um, just sparked an interest. And obviously, half the, a lot of the people in the room were women, and and that's actually was the impetus for actually having the panel that you're going to participate on next week. Why was it shocking for? For your organizers, the type of response to the girl effect and the role of the emphasis on women and girls, Jim? Um, part of it is, um, you know, the traditional areas of giving are things like the arts or healthcare or the poor, and and I think Peter and Jennifer were able to sort of tell a story that was pretty simple. Um, in a very powerful way, and and you know Peter is um, the child. Uh, um, his father is Warren Buffett, and um, at the time, a few years back, Warren gave each of his three children a billion dollars to do philanthropic work with. He's since given them more, <laughs> but but what Peter and Jennifer, after much study, after they took a year or two to study what they were going to do decided that the undervalued asset in the world were girls and that if you could empower girls and take care of girls' needs, then there were all kinds of other problems that would be addressed. And so I think that sort of story was just really powerful, and, and everybody resonated, but particularly the women um, in the room. 
Shelley, what are your thoughts on the question of the role and the influence of women, um, especially over the you know the next ten years as women accumulate more wealth right. um, than history has ever recorded? Right. Well, I think women are going to bring their own um, unique dynamic to giving. In my experience, one of the um, key differences I was laughing thinking about, um, Jim sharing about how women tend to give to more proliferation of causes, and I thought it's very much like the studies you see about our attention span, where women are constantly scanning the environment, you know, attending to every conversation in earshot, where, <laughs> you know, men are laser-focused on what's on the TV, and we right. can be having a whole conversation, and they have this, you know, I find that fascinating. It's how our brains are wired, and we bring those those brain orientations to our philanthropy, and I think what the pattern that Jim has seen um, reflects that. However, I think women's patterns will change over time as there is more intergenerational experience of women leading the philanthropic decisions in families. Um, my one of my key experiences with women is that they are exceedingly practical in their in their giving. I think that um, this you know comes from our experiences of having to keep all the dots connected at home and work and um, we are uh, women in my experience so far have been less likely to be philanthropic risk takers and more likely to be willing to fund the you know good ongoing work that just continues to get the job done for people in in need. It'll be interesting to see if that pattern continues sort of as a natural disposition or if there will be shifts over time as women are controlling sort of more and more of the purse strings. Jim, given the reaction to the Buffett's emphasis on women and girls, do you find that the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy will be engaging in more research and presentation of information beyond this, this forum in the area of women and girls? Um, it's possible. I mean, um, we sort of, um, we're going to sort of use the forum um, as an opportunity to think about what our agenda going forward should be and how we should tweak it. And, and we always do that. So I'm I'm sort of, I'm I'm looking forward to it um because I get to go from pam, you know from room to room and just sort of see what um we can learn and what seems most fruitful. Um and one of the things we always do from our forum is is we produce an essay or a summary. So for those that can't um join us then um in a month or two, we will actually have a summary of what the conversation was um, next week. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm sorry, Jim, that we've ran out of time. There are some more questions that have come in, and some call to the callers that we were not successful in getting on this particular broadcast. We do look forward to having Jim Ferris, founding director of the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy at the University of Southern California. We look forward to having you back again on Sylvia Global. Shelly, I'm glad we were able to connect you. Shelly Haas, thanks for joining in on the conversation. Um, Shelly, okay. president of the Orange County Community Foundation. Thank you so much, Shelly. My pleasure. For being here. Jim, look forward to seeing you next week. Congratulations um, on the tremendous work and over the last 12 years at the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy. 
This is Gail Sylvia, and you've been listening to Sylvia Global Media here at sylviaglobal.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and you can hear this broadcast at sylviaglobal.com. Thank you so much again, Jim and Shelly, for being with us today. Take care. Bye-bye, Jim. Bye, Sally. Bye. You've been listening to Sylvia Global with your host, Gail Sylvia. Become a subscriber to Sylvia Global for unique listener opportunities. Follow on Twitter and like them on Facebook. For more information, go to www.sylviaglobal.com. That's Sylvia, S-Y-L-V-I-A, global, G-L-O-B-A-L.com. 